We are in Matthew 22, 23 through 33 today. Uh, if you are watching at Trio across the street, hi, we love you and uh, glad you can join us for worship today. Uh, Matthew 22, 23 through 33 is our passage and the title of this sermon is Heaven. Uh, super excited to talk about this passage and this subject Uh, Two enormous and very reasonable questions that we as human beings ask all the time uh, is or are, is heaven real, right? Is heaven real? So many, all of us are asking it. Everyone around us is wondering, is heaven real? And then if so, what will it be like? So is heaven real? And then what will it be like? And all people around us are thinking this thought. They're maybe not asking it every day, but they're thinking it and they're wondering it. And Jesus has answers for us in this passage today. And just a few verses, we're gonna learn a lot about heaven. Um, This passage uh, taught me some significant things about heaven that I did not know uh, before this week. And I'm excited to just share, share all of this with us today as the Lord continues to disciple us through his word in the gospel of Matthew. So in our passage today, in just these few verses together, there's a group of people who comes to Jesus and that group of people think that heaven is preposterous. And they think it's preposterous because of multitude of reasons and they give one of the reasons to Jesus. And what they do is they try to trip Jesus up and uh, as if Jesus is a liar. But Jesus doesn't trip up, does he? Right, they try to trip him up, but Jesus doesn't trip up. And instead, Jesus affirms two things in this passage. Number one, he affirms that heaven is real. And then he describes a bit of what heaven is like. And we get to see that in this passage today. So I pray it's a great encouragement to you. I know that all of us kind of come at this passage thinking different things about heaven and we approach that differently based on our hope in Christ, based on whether or not we are in Christ, based on those who have passed on that we love, that we're believers. And so I pray this would absolutely encourage all of us today. So here's the big idea as we get going. The reality of heaven changes everything and is great hope. All right, the reality of heaven changes everything and is, present tense, and is great hope. So at the end of this passage, I wanna just for a moment do something a little strange and just jump all the way to verse 33 and just look at that with me as we get going today. At the end of this passage, it says, when the crowds heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So that's the last verse of these verses that we're gonna look at today. So there's crowds that are watching this interaction between Jesus and this group of people that don't believe in heaven. And then the crowd, that crowd that's watching is astonished at the end of this passage, all right? So here's points one, two, and three. And let me break this down in a shorter manner than the points are, all right? I love the way that Jesus has arranged this. Um, The first section today is about doubt, all right? People that just doubt heaven is real. They doubt Jesus, they doubt heaven is real. The second section is that heaven is real and some details about it that Jesus gives. And then the third section is about how it's possible that heaven is real. And just a few verses today. So I pray that as we go through this, our understanding of heaven, even our understanding of coming through doubt and believing the Lord for these things, we would be growing in our faith in the Lord Jesus and the things that he is aiming us toward, namely heaven today. All right, here's the first point this morning. Many question heaven, yet Jesus came to get us there. 
Many question heaven, yet Jesus came to get us there. Verses 23 through 28. So here's verse 23 of Matthew 22. It says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. All right, now. This is super corny, but we do it every time we talk about the Sadducees. I heard this when I was a kid and I'll never forget it again. How do we remember what the Sadducees didn't believe? You think they don't believe in the resurrection and that's sad you see. All right, are y'all with me on that? How many of you have heard that before? Right, how many of you have never heard that and that was the first time and now you're like, I'll never forget it, right? That is the type of thing that I never forget. I heard that when I was a kid. They're sad you see because they don't believe in heaven and that's, that's them, that's their approach and they are, um, their, their mentality is doubt and their mentality is attacking things that Jesus says is true, all right? So they didn't believe in the resurrection. And like many people today, they thought that when you pass away, your soul dies along with your body and that life after death is absurd. So, so their question to Jesus is actually to mock how heaven cannot possibly exist. This is their position, and so because it's their position, they're building reasons why it can't possibly exist. And so here's verse 24 as they kind of set things up with Jesus. They say to him, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. And then we'll just keep going here. It says, Now there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died, and having no children left, his, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Right, so this is a group of people who don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in the resurrection. And so because they don't believe, they bring a question to Jesus. Like if they're married here and this one woman was married to seven men over the course of her life, God bless her, right? Like God bless her. Then who would she be married to in heaven? And they're thinking, you can't answer that, Jesus. So therefore, heaven is not real. They thought something was complicated in their minds here based on what they thought heaven would be like. And so because it was complicated, they could not believe and thought it was therefore absurd and preposterous. All right, what was going on here, just so it's clear to us in verses 24 and 25 and 26, the brothers were marrying this one lady. A brother would pass away. They had no kids to pass that on. So, so, Um, that concept is foreign to us, but this exaggerated story comes from common law of the Redeemer in the Old Testament. And what God had set up ensured that women and offspring would have provision and a name if her husband passed away. So the kinsman Redeemer, her husband's brother, would marry her to perpetuate the family name and provision. So it's actually a wonderful grace of God to which they're referring, but this situation is quite exaggerated, isn't it? Seven brothers, all of them die. She's gotta be thinking at some point like, man, I really married into a family not of strong stock, right? Right? So... So you just, I just imagine the dinners at some point got awkward, right? Like man three, man four, they're just thinking like, I don't know if three's gonna be here next year. And so four, we'll just see, we'll just see what happens. So, so what's happening is the Sadducees are throwing shade at Jesus. 
They're saying the afterlife is preposterous for lots of reasons, including to whom she'd be married in this case. So I just want us to consider for a minute how ironic this moment is. All right, consider this. They were doubting Jesus, which happens all the time, but Jesus came from heaven to pay the penalty of our sins so that by believing in Jesus, we can go to heaven. So literally the man, the God man who came from heaven is in front of them and they are coming to him, the man from heaven doubting him and he is the very one who can get them to heaven. But boy, did they choose the right person to ask this question, right? They, they went right to Jesus and that's what we've got to do with all of our doubts. Just go right to Jesus with it. And, and I think often, y'all, and, and maybe you are similar to me in this, I read, I read the Gospels and I read of these groups of people that just like the banner over them was they don't believe, they won't believe. And that's for sure the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And I just think you're so close, right? They're literally in front of Jesus Christ, the one from heaven who can get them to heaven, yet they don't believe in heaven. And they're asking a question about heaven, but you're just wondering if they'll believe. And so doubt isn't new to humanity whatsoever, including those who are standing right in front of Jesus. I want to share with you a quote from J.C. Ryle, um, old school pastor and writer. Uh, I love this quote, and it's on the screen for you to follow along as I read it. He writes, an unbelieving mind loves to entrench itself. Such a mind will often refuse to look at the overwhelming mass of evidence by which Christianity is supported and will fasten itself on a single difficulty which it fancies is unanswerable. And then he goes on to write, we need not doubt that many a, many a thing now unintelligible to us will yet be made plain. In doing so, we may be sure that we do not know now what we shall know in the future. Right? That is the hope of the Christian. There are things that are unintelligible to us today that we will one day know and understand. And we can bring our doubts to the Lord Jesus and he's gonna help us and point us toward what is truth. And that is exactly what he's gonna do in this passage. I wanna encourage all of us today who are Christians and are trying to disciple, trying to reach out to people who are lost, that as we read this passage, people doubting what Jesus says is not new right? People doubting heaven is not new. People doubting the things of God's word is not new. People doubted Jesus himself in this passage. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God was in front of them and they doubted everything he was teaching. Yet, Jesus continued to point them, these doubters, to himself. He didn't give up on them. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm so frustrated. They just, they want, he kept ministering to them and so must we. And I wanna encourage you, if you're, if you're here today or you're watching today and you're, you're someone who's given to doubt about the Lord Jesus, you're not sure about these things, I just pray the spirit of God would open your heart and mind and soul today so that you can hear Jesus's words because he's addressing his words today to doubters. All right, so first point, many question heaven, yet Jesus came to get us there. All right, second point today, relationships of today will be eternally better in heaven. Relationships of today will be eternally better in heaven. So this is the part where Jesus describes what heaven will be like, which is incredible. Verses 29 and 30 are this point. So 29 says this, but Jesus answered them. So they've just asked the question, but Jesus answered them, you are what? Wrong. 
That's pretty succinct, right? You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So right here in verse 29, Jesus puts his foot down. Agreed? He puts his foot down, right? Like in my house, my, my kids, and they're on the front row, my kids may not disrespect Vanessa. Uh, that's not okay. It's not cool in our house. There are certain things that are just not allowed. Like bottom line, you may not do that. Certain things are just not okay at all and must be dealt with immediately. And the Sadducees were wrong. And this is one of those moments where Jesus puts his foot down and they were wrong about heaven not existing. And Jesus, by putting his foot down and by saying, you are wrong, means heaven does exist. And that is great hope. So in one verse, these Sadducees are recognizing they doubt heaven exists, they doubt Jesus is God, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, you are wrong, but then why? And this is so critical. What were they missing? Why were they wrong? And Jesus answers that. They, it's because of two things. They didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. Do you see that in verse 29? In order to believe heaven is real, you need two things. You need to know the scriptures because the scriptures teach us that heaven is real and then you need to know the power of God. And Jesus is explaining that to us here and we as disciples are taking that in, we're learning that and we're thinking as we disciple others, we wanna be able to explain that to them as well. In order to understand heaven is real, we gotta know the scriptures and we gotta know the power of God. Y'all, we have some really artistic people in our church and uh, one of them is Amy Davis, who is here in the first service. And um, every year for the last four or five years, Amy has taken our year theme and she has turned them into ornaments that we can put on our Christmas tree. And uh, it, it, when you see Amy next, I want you to just thank her because this year, as our church grows numerically, the number of ornaments that she makes by hand grows numerically. So just be thanking her for that. And uh, here is this year's ornament. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? So as you leave today, there are, uh, there's one of these per family in the basket on the welcome table. And, and let me just emphasize, it's one per family, not one per person, right? Not one per tree, not one per wreath, not one for your car, not one for your home, not one for your, just one per family. All right, you with me on that? All right, um, but these are them. And as we, um, every year as we go through the different themes that we have as a church and we put these on our Christmas trees, we just, we remember what God is doing for us. We realize what, where he's taken us as a church. And um, this year, as this disciple uh, ornament comes out, uh, it's interesting that it's in this text that is, that is pointing us to heaven where Jesus is discipling us about who he is, about how and why heaven can exist, about what heaven is. And so we as disciples, as learners following Jesus and then discipling others as followers of Jesus teaching others, I want us to ask ourselves several questions just after we read verse 29, all right? Here are three questions. Is we've just seen that to believe that heaven is real, you gotta know the scriptures and you gotta believe in the power of God, right? There's two things. So three questions for us. Do you study the scriptures to know them and therefore know God? Right, do you? Are you a disciple in that manner? Do you study the scriptures in order to know them and therefore know God? 
The second question is like it. It's, it's resultative after it. Do you replace worldly theories with what God says is true? Because if you're studying the scriptures and you're knowing the scriptures and therefore knowing God, then you're gonna have theories that you bring to that study of God's word, God's voice written down for you. You're bringing a theory to that and you're like, wait a second, this is what God says is true. Do you replace those worldly theories with what God says is true? And then third, do you believe God's power can raise you from the dead to heaven? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's power can raise you from the dead to heaven? Do you believe that? Those two things, knowing God's word and knowing the power of God is what we must have in order to believe heaven. So Jesus fields their doubts and their ridicule and he points them to realities about heaven. So here's verse 30. So much teaching is right here in this one verse. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. All right, so Jesus immediately is answering their question. They come at him with an example, an illustration about how heaven can't possibly exist because to whom would this woman be married in heaven? And so Jesus addresses that first and then he's gonna talk about heaven for the rest of our short passage today. So I wanna pull three things from just verse 30 and break it down phrase by phrase. So Jesus says first, in the resurrection. He says, in the, re- in the resurrection. And that phrase is used three times in our short passage today. It's not referred to as heaven. It's used as in the, in the resurrection. And that phrase actually means heaven, all right? But think about how it's phrased. When we think of heaven, we think of a place. When we think of in the resurrection, we recognize what has occurred to get us to that place. You with me in that, right? We think of heaven, like does heaven exist? And then you think, does resurrection exist? And in the resurrection, meaning in the place where the resurrected ones are, we think that's heaven. That helps us understand how we get to heaven and it's through being raised by Jesus Christ just as he was raised as the first fruits. We think about Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He freed us from the debt of our sin, from the penalty of our sin, but then he died, buried the penalty of our sin and rose so that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. We too could be the second fruits following him in that resurrection. That's how we get to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He resurrected, we too will rise. All of our hope about resurrection is in Jesus. In order to get to heaven, the place called in the resurrection, we have to rise be resurrected as Jesus was, all right? So in the resurrection, Jesus is teaching. The next phrase is, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So he's addressing their question. He's coming, I just think it's so full of grace. They bring a preposterous example to him and he is gonna teach on this and and entertain it with them. So this phrase, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage means that the purpose for marriage here will no longer be necessary in heaven. We learn a lot from Jesus in this moment. So, so examples, purposes of marriage here, just, just two. There's many, but just two. One is procreation, right? And in heaven, there's no, uh, there's no more life cycles. There's no more time. There's no more death. There's no more birth. The be fruitful and multiply thing is complete. The second thing, The second purpose of marriage, and this is the big one that goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation, is mirroring Christ and the church, right? We're here 
Uh, so once we're there, we recognize that this picture of heaven and our relationship between Christ and the church is complete because now we're with the Lord for all eternity. So that picture of marriage, a husband and wife picturing Christ and the church is no longer needed because, well, we're with the Lord. And that marriage, uh, that eternal spiritual marriage is now consummated because we, the bride, are with Jesus, the groom. Marriage here is a, is a sign that's pointing to something greater, and that sign is that something greater is the relationship between Christ and the church. And so uh, for all of us, as we're, as we're learning this from Jesus, uh, no matter how awesome the sign is for you or how difficult that sign is for you, we can rest assured that heaven and relationships in heaven will exceed the best that you could ever imagine or think right? Heaven and relationships in heaven are going to be far better than everything and anything we have ever experienced here because, think of it, there's no more sin, there's no more shame, there's no more disease, there's no more suffering. All of those things are gone. So everything and every way we relate to everyone that we know and love today is going to be light years, eternally better in heaven. But it won't be the same as it is here, and it'll be better, right? Then there's the third phrase that Jesus says, we will be like the angels. So we will be like the angels. Um, uh, I did this with the first service and I think it went well. So let me, let me try this on you. When I, when I hear angels, I, I think of maybe there's three options, three options of things that come into your mind, okay? Um, number one is uh, like the little, little chubby angels wear, with a bow and arrow, all right? That's number one, okay? Y'all got that? Number one, chubby angel, bow and arrow. Second one is like the Gabriel archangel angel that's like jacked and has an eight pack, all right? That's the second one. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's the second one. So polar opposite, chubby little like bow and arrow, you know, Valentine's Day angel, boo. That's what it sounds like when the arrow shoots, all right? And then the second one is Gabriel archangel, like eight pack angel. And then um, the third one would be like cherubim, seraphim, um, singing holy, 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 and that's, that's like all they do, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna vote. I want you, you can only pick one, and I want you to raise your hand for what you think when you hear the word angel, just what you naturally think. No one's, no one's gonna judge you. Uh, I am observing, all right, but no one's gonna judge you, okay? So uh, question one, who thinks, who thinks chubby little arrow shooting angels when you hear angel? Praise God, praise God. All right, zero hands raised for that. I feel like I'm pastoring well. Okay, second, uh, who thinks Gabriel, you know, jacked Gabriel with an eight pack? Who thinks that? That's great, that's great. I love that honesty. I am hoping for that. I've never had an eight pack. I think it would be really cool, right? I'm hoping for that. And then who thinks like cherubim, seraphim? Who thinks that one? All right, that's great. And some of you didn't answer and I'll be following up with you about that. I don't, I don't understand. Some of you are like, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna call me on stage? I don't know what's gonna happen, all right? So uh, first service is exactly the same, just so you know. Um, no one answered chubby. It's probably because I made fun of it. Some people are probably wanting to. Um, uh, mostly the men answered Archangel Gabriel for an eight pack and then, um, and then the majority, the winner first service was, was the third one as well. So when Jesus says we will be like the angels, he doesn't mean their form. Right, so that whole illustration I just gave is like kind of a trick, right? He doesn't mean what they he doesn't mean what they look like at all. 
He's talking about relationship, right? He's talking about their relationship with God because that's the question that the Sadducees brought to Jesus. What will the marriage of this woman who was married to seven men during her lifetime, what will that relationship be like in heaven? And he's saying, he's saying it's, it's not, it's way different than that in heaven. You're, you're gonna be like the angels in heaven. So then what does it mean? What does he mean? Right, and we think, okay, what is a relation, what is an angel's relationship to, to God look like in heaven? heaven. And, that, and that's where some of what we discussed does actually come into play. What Jesus is referring to is the primary relationship of heaven is us and God. And we're going to have other relationships in heaven and they're going to be amazing, but the primary one, the number one one, without us ever getting confused and making like a secondary relationship number one, the primary one is God all the time. And that's what the, that's what the angels enjoy And that's what we'll enjoy for all eternity. We will be linked to the Lord perfectly for all eternity in heaven. And uh, the the relationship with God will be our number one relationship in his presence forever where there is no sin, no sorrow, or death. So as we think about heaven and as Jesus is discipling us about heaven in this passage, we recognize that how we think about life and relationships and identity ourselves here is going to be altogether better, altogether eternal, altogether perfect, and altogether something that we cannot even imagine in heaven, right? Jesus is giving us just enough and probably just a little bit more than enough for us to recognize how amazing heaven is, that it exists, that it's coming, that all relationships are going to be better. And then we believe that and we place our faith in that and we want to get toward that, right? So Jesus addresses relationships in heaven and now, how heaven is real, how heaven is real. And I love this passage. I think it's very unique in God's word for how heaven can possibly be real. So look at this from verses 31 through 33. All saved who have passed on are alive with God today. All right, all saved who have passed on are alive with God today. All right, so we've looked at doubt. We've looked at what heaven will be like. And then we've looked at, now we're gonna look at how heaven is even possible from verses 31 through 33. And there's so much hope in these verses, y'all. There's so much hope in these verses. Look at verse 31 and 32. It says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, so there goes Jesus using that phrase again. Now he's teaching, he's going deeper. He's teaching them about heaven. He's teaching them about God. He answered their question, but now he's getting to the real point, right? Verse 31, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. All right, now, the Sadducees had for sure read this passage. He's saying, have you not read? And they had for sure read this. Here's the thing about the Sadducees. They only believed the Torah. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of of our Bible. Um, They only believed that. So Jesus knows his audience. He quotes from Exodus 3, which is where this quote is from. This is the burning bush. This is when God introduces himself to Moses and God out of the sky, thundering. There's a burning bush that's not consumed. Moses is confused out of his mind. What is going on? He realizes this is a holy moment. God then tells him so. And God says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So when Moses heard that, and when the Sadducees read that, and when we read this, the thought is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead guys 
who walked with God and God was their God, past tense. But he's not their God now because they have died, right? In that passage in Exodus 3, Jacob, the, the, the youngest of all of them, or the most recent to have passed away, it was 200 years ago. So for God to introduce himself this way is very, very interesting. God's introduction is I am. That's his name. That's his name, Yahweh. I am, and what does I am mean? It means I exist. So we think of things in past tense, present tense, or future tense. God has a tense altogether to himself, and it's the always tense, amen? It's the always tense, I am. That is who he is. He's saying, I exist. He literally introduced himself to Moses as I exist. And not only like, I'm here for now, it's like I am for all eternity, the always tense. The next thing is God didn't say to Moses, I was their God. He says, I am their God. And right there, we're learning something about heaven, aren't we? And Jesus is, and, and Jesus is saying, just in, just in God's introduction of himself to Moses, we're learning about heaven. And then the third thing he says, the God of the living. And that, that's, that's where all the hope is for people that we love who have already passed on. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all alive in heaven then and now. God is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. Amen? Isn't that awesome? That is so, that is so encouraging. So all of us who have saved loved ones and friends who have passed away are with God right now. And they are raised and they are alive. How do we know? Because God is the God of the living. Because God is the God of the living. Our deaths do not end God's covenant relationship with us through Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Our deaths do not end God's covenant relationship with us through Jesus. That's his promise to us. It's a forever covenant. I am, he exists. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is our God. He is the God of those that we love who are Christians who have already passed on. He is their God. He is our God. Now, one thing I think is really interesting about this passage and Jesus's answer is he didn't explain heaven from some metaphysical standpoint, all right? Like he, he wasn't coming at them thinking like, here's why heaven exists and, you know, God created everything and I know you don't believe that, but here's how in metaphysics and blah, 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 all these things that we don't understand yet. He didn't come at them from a metaphysics standpoint to explain heaven. He just used God's introduction to Moses. That's all he used. He used God's name to prove that heaven exists. And I want us to capture that because God's name doesn't change. God doesn't change. Therefore, heaven exists. Heaven will always exist. It's kind of like, like, like the schoolyard. There's this, this argument going forth, like some argument going back and forth, like a logic argument. Heaven doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, heaven does exist. Heaven doesn't exist. Heaven does exist. And then Jesus is like, heaven does exist because here's God's name. And the circle on the outside watching this is like, oh, right, right. You'd think Jesus would come at them with proofs and all of these bullet point reasons of why heaven exists. Instead, he just took them to Exodus 3 and says, look at God's name, I am. Look at God's, how he describes his name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had passed away from here. He is their God. Therefore, heaven exists, and therefore they are with him in heaven. So, important question. How does this work, right? When we die, what happens? How does this work? When we die, what happens? First, our souls go immediately to heaven. And we know that from Luke uh, 23, verse 43, 
Jesus and two thieves are on uh, three crosses, and one thief was mocking Jesus and then realizes, no, this is the Son of God. I'm going to place my faith in him for the forgiveness of my sins, and he did. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So as that thief who had given his life to Jesus while hanging on the cross uh, died, he went immediately to heaven. That's awesome. Our souls go to heaven as soon as we pass away. And then what happens with our bodies? Our bodies are buried and when and will rise when Christ returns. All right, our bodies are buried and will rise when Christ returns. So I want us to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. So everyone just turn there. If you got, you know, a digital Bible, um, we'll race, right? Print Bible versus digital Bible, okay? 1 Thessalonians 4. This is one of those passages. Um, I know a lot of people here are new to the faith or new to studying God's word. And this is a passage that I want you to know where it is. That's why I want you to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And this is a passage that talks about Christ's return. And I want to read it to you so that you have hope and understanding of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. All right, so here it is. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. All right, so he's saying, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away. Right, notice that people who have died who are believers are not referred to as dead and gone, but as asleep, right? Their bodies are resting and will one day rise, right? He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the air with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So when we die, our souls immediately go to heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise and our bodies are buried to one day rise and join our souls in heaven. And when Christ return, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive will meet them in the air. And I don't know what it's going to be like, but we're going to be like, hey, it's been a while, right? Like while we're floating in heaven and going, like we haven't seen any of this stuff yet. But God is giving us glimpses of what it is so that we can understand how amazing this is going to be. And we got to believe it's going to happen. So do we know God's word and do we believe in the power of God to raise us from the dead to new life, to heaven ahead? Do we believe? I believe. Do you believe? Does this give you hope? Does this fire you up? So, so what's the reaction of all those people back then? Verse 33 of Matthew 22 says, and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus is talking to these Sadducees and there's a crowd that had gathered around to just be like, what's gonna happen? What's Jesus gonna teach? I wanna take this in myself. And they're astonished. They're astonished at what Jesus just taught. It doesn't say anything about the Sadducees, unfortunately, but it says what the crowd who was listening believed and their reaction. And that word astonished means life-changing. These are not things you hear and forget. The reality of heaven changes everything and is great hope. So questions as we close. Is heaven real? Yes. Can we get there? 
Yes, through faith in Jesus. Can we trust Jesus about heaven? Yes, he came from there, right? What will heaven be like? Beyond what any of us could ever imagine or think. And then how do we know heaven is real? Because God is not the God of the dead, but God is the God of the living, right? So I want to leave you with one verse, and it's written by the Apostle John who was with Jesus as a disciple, and then he lived decades longer and received the revelation, the last book of our Bibles, uh, about future things, and he was in his 90s when he wrote this verse, having meditated on heaven for decades, and here's the verse and then I'm going to give us some time to meditate and think, okay? It's 1 John 2.25. The Apostle John in his 90s writes, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Let's pray together and bow our heads. Um, Father, we thank you for this passage and for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for coming out of heaven to save us from the penalty of our sin and therefore make a way for us to get to heaven forgiven before a holy God. Jesus, you rose first. We will rise after you bodily and we praise you for that. And so God, right now, I just wanna give each person here a moment with you to think through this passage, the things that you've taught them from this passage and to apply it to life, to the doubter, to the person interested in what heaven is like, to the person who needs some confidence about how heaven can be real. And church, just spend a moment with the Lord meditating on this passage, letting it sink into your life and your belief. It's a remarkable thing to see you interacting with people who doubt, interacting with people who ridicule you, and you are persistently aiming to lead them to yourself so that they too can have heaven, so that they too can know you and be forgiven. And God, I praise you for the vast majority of people here today who are forgiven and are headed to heaven. God, for anyone here that isn't yet saved, I pray today would be the day where they'd place their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins and believe that you not only forgive them their sins, but give them new life here as disciples of you and then a future in heaven for all eternity. So would anyone here watching just place your faith in Jesus today, we urge you, that heaven can be ahead for you. And Father, for the doubters here, for those here who are grieving, 
For those here who need to hold on to hope as those who grieve with hope, I pray that this passage would minister to them and would you minister to them, Lord, God of all comfort, would you do that? And God, thank you for the specifics about how amazing heaven is. Thank you, Lord, for life here. And we know that our days are numbered and we know that heaven is ahead and we look forward to that and we live for that day with you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit.